Uh, As we continue to look through this Advent series in the book of Luke, we're calling this series Good News of Great Joy. And Mary was, was given this information last week, we saw as this angel approaches her and tells her that he's got good news for her. And yet, how true is it that often the good news of the Lord comes in a package that doesn't seem so good to us? That a young virgin girl would give birth to the Savior of the world I'm sure is not exactly how she would have written the story, and yet God had an incredible plan even in the midst of this. I was so grateful. Last week I wasn't here. Um, I was out just running some errands, and, uh, and no, I was, I was braving the weather and trying to get past the finish line at the CIM, but it was very, very helpful to be able to live stream on my phone the service. So I was, I was here via the live stream. I was jumping in and listening, and it was a very helpful message in the midst of hitting a mental wall. So uh, I was grateful for that, really thankful for the word that David brought. And then there was this moment around, you know, 20 miles, and I'm sure you've all been there. Um, and my, my AirPods died, and so I had no music, no distractions. I was running by myself. And everything in me wanted to quit. And I'm like, Lord, why right now do my headphones have to die? Like, why could that not have happened at mile four or something? Or mile 24. But um, there I was, left alone with my thoughts. I was spending some time praying for you guys and really praying for the service last week. And also asking the Lord if he had anything he wanted me to share. And I felt like he gave me a word in that moment. And so although this isn't a normal part of our service every Sunday to say, hey, here's the word that the Lord gave me for you this week, um, I wanted to be obedient. And I felt like the Lord put this on my heart. And so I want to share for anyone that this might be speaking to. Um, As I was running and thinking, uh, man, how difficult it was, I felt like the Lord was reminding me that the race of faith is not so different. And that as much as I wanted to give up, that there were people... um, who are very much in the same place spiritually, that, that um, the word I really felt like the Lord give me, give me, gave me, was don't give up, don't give in, press on and move forward with purpose. Um, I really believe that there could be someone here um, who, maybe multiple people here, who have been running this race of faith for a long time and you're tired and you're burnt out and you're exhausted and Not just like you had a bad day, but it's been a long season and you're just kind of ready to stop running. Um, And can I encourage you this morning with what the Lord I really felt put on my heart, that you'll make it, that God has not forsaken you in that place you're in, in that space right now, that there will be an end to any pain you're experiencing emotionally, physically, spiritually. You're not alone no matter how much you feel like it. And I promise you that the joy of the finish is worth the suffering of this present moment. I don't know who that's for. I don't know if that hits home for somebody. But please, uh, if you feel like that was a word the Lord had for you, I would love to hear that after service. I want to know that I'm not just speaking out crazy and that this is really for somebody. Okay, I see some hands, so that's... That's helpful to know. Praise the Lord. But for all of us, may that be a reminder for us, even if you feel like you're in a great season, that there will be difficult times you're going to face. You're not alone in it. 
Don't give up and don't give in. Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39, and we'll pick up the story. After Mary has been given this word from the angel, we read this. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Let's pray this morning as we begin. Lord, as we open your word this morning, truly believing that it does contain good news of great joy for all people, we pray that you would speak. God, we have gathered together on this Sunday morning, not just hear a story told, but to receive the living, active, powerful word of God. We are here for you, Lord. As, as Mary declared it, God, our, our souls magnify you. We pray this morning that you would be brought high. That we would grow in our understanding of you. That we would grow in our appreciation of you. And God, that you would be glorified in all that takes place in this time. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes and you want to write down a title this morning, you can write this down, Love for the Lowly. Love for the Lowly. That's what we're going to see in our text today is a God that is so good, he has love for the lowly. Now, as I already mentioned, the context of what we're in, Mary has been told by the Lord that she is going to conceive a child. His name would be Jesus. He would be the Savior of the world. And then we read that immediately in those days that Mary arises and she goes into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. 
Now, Mary's traveling a considerable distance to come and see Elizabeth, and it's important that we realize this. She didn't travel a few blocks by foot. She's not heading down across town to go see her. From the region of Galilee to the hill country of Judea, where Elizabeth and Zacharias are, is somewhere between 80 and 100 miles. So I'm still feeling my knee and my hip from 26.2. Mary went a full 80 to 100 miles travel just to go and see Elizabeth and Zacharias. And yet for a young betrothed woman, pregnant through miraculous means, it was worth every mile to be with Elizabeth. Why? Because Elizabeth, as we've seen in weeks past, is a woman who can sympathize with her situation as she was walking through a very similar thing. Remember, we've got two women who are really both sides of the spectrum, both conceiving in miraculous ways. You've got Elizabeth, who everybody has said she's barren. And Luke, the doctor writing this account, even gives us an added detail there. Not only is she barren, which as a doctor, he knows what he's talking about, but he says that she's also very old. That's Lucas's translation. She's well advanced in years. She's not at an age where she should be giving birth to a child or could even get pregnant anymore. And then you've got Mary, who's a young teenager, who's not married yet, who everybody says, no, no, it's too early. And yet in this situation, you've got the one they say it's too late and the one they say it's too early. And God says it's the right time. And they're coming together to find comfort, to find encouragement with each other. Very unique situations, both with children that are going to have a significant role as told by an angel, one to prepare the way of the Messiah and one who comes to save the world. And Mary approaches the home. She comes in and she's greeted by Zacharias. And as Elizabeth hears this greeting, we read that the babe leaped in her womb and she is filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment. Just the presence of Jesus, even within the womb of Mary, was enough to dramatically affect everyone in his presence. He causes children to jump for joy even within their mother's womb. And as we'll see, it even brings out this celebration and this song of Elizabeth and Mary, blessing the Lord and Mary, the one who is given this great honor of carrying this child. Now, there's one thing I want to make note of here, and it's this word babe. And not because it's your favorite word to call your spouse, but if we dig a little deeper, the Greek word used here, brephos, is a really, really important word. And the reason it's really important is because this word brephos that is used for babe here, speaking of John, still in his mother's womb, jumping for joy as Mary and Jesus arrive, is the same word we're going to read later in Luke when Mary is going to take her already born child, Jesus, and she takes the babe and she wraps him in the swaddling cloths. It's the very same word used. And why is that significant? Why does that matter? Because God, who has inspired the word, who has carefully made every detail in here important for us to learn from, does not distinguish between life in the womb and life outside the womb. They are both the exact same word, brephos. 
Jesus born being wrapped in swaddling cloths, and John still in his mother's womb, rolling around in there, God says both of them are a child. Both of them have life and meaning and purpose, and they matter in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter what the scientific definition we want to give of where John is in this moment in his developmental state and where, where Jesus was at his first few days after birth, Scripture calls them the same thing. It's a life. It's a babe. It's a child with a purpose. Let's make sure our definition of when life begins matches Scripture's definition of when life begins, and it's not after the child is born. So this, this boy within Elizabeth, he's jumping for joy. He's moving around within her, and she's filled with the Spirit in this moment and prompted to respond in such a way that she's going to bless Mary and glorify the Lord. This is still, I don't know if you realize this, the purpose of the Holy Spirit giving us gifts today. That as the Holy Spirit comes upon you and equips you and gives you a gift, that it would encourage and edify the body of Christ and that it would glorify the Lord. And that's the same fruit we see here as Elizabeth turns to Mary and says, Oh, man, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She's encouraging, she's edifying Mary as she approaches her home. You know, on the outside, if you don't know what the Lord is doing, there are many things we might say about Mary in this moment. As a young teenage girl that's pregnant, who's now headed for the hills. But blessed is probably not one of the words we would use, and yet it's the first word Elizabeth uses when filled with the Spirit to describe Mary. You are blessed. I'm sure many of you can look at your situation and say, Lucas, there's a lot of words I would use, some very graphic ones perhaps, to describe my situation, but the word blessed is not one of them. But are we looking at our situation through the eyes of Christ, or are we making comparisons with what we think is important and valuable and blessed in the eyes of others? It's interesting to note here that Elizabeth, by their social standards, is actually in a higher place than Mary. She's, she's the wife of a priest. She comes from a priestly family. They would be greatly honored among people. And then you've got Mary, this lowly maidservant. And yet there's a reversal here where Elizabeth is saying, no, no, you're the highly favored one. You're the blessed one. It's not me. Because you've been chosen by God to carry the Savior of the world. In fact, Elizabeth feels so humbled in this moment that as Mary is coming into her home, she's asking the question, why has it been granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? She's humbled by the fact that that the mother of her Lord would enter her home at all. Elizabeth, full of faith, taken aback by this incredible honor bestowed on her. And you see the humility in this woman with this question, don't you? She's not saying, well, this makes sense because, I mean, think about it. Miraculous baby in me, of course you're going to come to me. And my husband is a priest. He was chosen this time, and he did hear from an angel. So it kind of makes sense. If you're going to come to a home, this is the home you come to. We don't see any of that with Elizabeth. Elizabeth. 
She's humbled in this moment and is amazed and says, oh, what have I done to, to deserve this honor? That the mother of my Lord would come to me. Let me ask you today, does it stop you in your tracks? Are you amazed this morning? Are you left with a sense of wonder when you think about that reality that the Lord has come to us? That when we sing out about Emmanuel, God with us, that he has come to dwell among us, does that amaze you? Because it should. Elizabeth's question should be each and every one of ours. We should be the ones sitting there going, what have we possibly done to deserve such a blessing, such an honor, such a gift that God would come and dwell among us? And more so than just God coming to dwell among us, for us today that the Holy Spirit would seek us out, come into our hearts and open our eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. What have we done to, be, to deserve to be called friends of God, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? to be co-heirs with Christ, with a future home in heaven. Love and grace, believer, is the only reason we celebrate that reality. It wasn't the works of Elizabeth that earned her the right for Mary to enter her home. It was the grace and love of God that brought Mary to her to encourage her, to strengthen her, to bless her, and to honor her. And it is only because of the love of God that he would send his son into the world that whoever would believe in him could have everlasting life. And we can only stand here like Paul would say in Scripture because of the grace of God, because we are saved by grace and we are what we are today by the grace of God. It's a humbling reality, but it's something that should draw us to the same kind of celebration and song that we see these two women having in this moment. She says, blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. And this is an important detail. This gives us the answer to why Mary's question to the angel last week wasn't met with the punishment of silence like Zacharias' question to the angel two weeks ago was. Because Mary is asking her question still from a place of belief. And Zacharias was asking his question from a place of doubt. Now, there's an important principle we learn here by Elizabeth as she's filled with the Spirit and she states this fact over Mary. Blessed is she who has believed. There's a principle for believers in here for us to remember, for us to hold on to that blessing follows belief. Show me a true believer willing to trust in the Lord and not lean on their own understanding, ready to take God at his word and walk by faith in it, and I will show you a blessed person who truly has a blessed life. Now, will they be rich? I don't know. Will they be healthy? I didn't say that. Will they be powerful and famous? I doubt it. 
And you might say, well, then how can you possibly say this person is blessed just because they believe in God? Because when you believe in God, there is a peace that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus with a love of God that is unlike any other love that nothing in this world can separate you from, with the grace of God that transforms us and makes us what we are today, with the mercy of God that is new every morning, with the faithfulness of God that is faithful even when we are faithless, and with the hope of God that does not disappoint. If you are a believer in Jesus, make no mistake, you are blessed. And in this moment, she says, blessed are you. Even if the world says, unfortunate are you for this troubling situation that's a little awkward, that may bring some shame to you in your community, she says, blessed are you. You're blessed. And not only because of what believing in God brings, but also the reality that when you believe God and you trust him at his word, you can be as confident as Elizabeth was telling this to Mary Those things that you've believed in, they're going to come to pass. You can take it to the bank. Mary, everything that angel told you that you held on to and you believed, it is all going to happen. It's the same thing that anchored David in the midst of a difficult time, Psalm 23, when he said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That belief that kept them anchored, he said, I would have given up. I would have lost heart. I would have abandoned this altogether unless I had believed and held on to that belief and walked by faith in that belief. You know, Jesus himself said in John 20 when he was talking with Thomas the doubter, And invited him in. He says, touch my hands, feel my side. And then Thomas believes that he's truly resurrected. And then he says this in verse 29. Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Mary has been told this by the angel. But in a moment, she can't miraculously see all this playing out. She has to believe without seeing that this is going to take place. Now, I'm sure there's a bit of encouragement as she goes to Elizabeth, who's probably starting to show by this point, and can go, look, an angel spoke to her, and everybody would have said she was too old to have a child, and she's having a child. So as crazy as my situation feels, as a young teenage virgin, if that's possible, I'm going to believe, even when I don't yet see it. Mary was blessed for this, for believing what she could not yet see. And yet we could look at the opposite. Zacharias missed out on the blessing because he doubted what he could not see. The angel tells him, your wife's going to give birth to a son. His name's going to be John and he's going to be great. Zacharias says, hold up, angel, we've got a problem. You were probably supposed to come to me 20 years ago because my wife is no spring chicken. She's barren. This isn't going to work out. And because of his doubt, his lack of belief, he's robbed of the blessing in that moment as he leaves the temple. But what do we see here with Mary? No, you are blessed because you believed. What about you this morning, Christian? 
when you read a promise of God in Scripture, or when God gives you a specific word, do you require signs to prove it and to back it up? Do you doubt it given the circumstances before you and what you've seen in the past? No, I've seen this play out before. There's surely no way that could happen. Just remind yourself of the virgin that is giving birth to the Savior. Jesus says, blessed is the one who doesn't need to see to believe, who can take God at his word and walk by faith in accordance with it. And this is where true ministry takes place. This is where the real life of faith exists, when willing vessels are ready to be used by God and walk by faith and not by sight. Warren Wearsby says it perfectly in his book on being a servant of God. He says this, Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. That's ministry. That's where it takes place. When divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. There could be no greater human need than salvation. And it is met in this moment in our text with divine resources that impregnate two ladies that everybody would have said, not possible, not going to happen. And yet through those divine resources, these loving channels who are faithfully being used by God and believing him at his word are going to bring glory to God. Because what's the very next thing we see? Now Mary, who has been given this blessing by Elizabeth, who says, you are highly favored. You are so blessed for believing. Now Mary, in turn, turns and sings out. We don't know if it's a song. It could be just a poetic statement that she declares. But she boldly declares this word, and it begins with, my soul magnifies the Lord. A loving channel where God's divine resources have met a human need for his glory. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's where we get this statement. Many of you have heard of this section of scripture. It's called the Magnificat of Mary. That's because the word magnifies there in Latin is Magnificat. And Mary begins by saying, my soul, it magnifies the Lord. There are many similarities as we look at this Magnificat of Mary between this song and the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. And for this reason and many others we see within these statements of Mary, we conclude that Mary was a woman who knew her word. And in this moment of great joy and celebration, it is the words of God that are on her mind and in her heart that come out of her lips. Jesus said in Luke Six, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in this moment, out of the abundance of Mary's heart, her mouth speaks, and what comes forth, it is the word of God. In fact, there's at least 15 Old Testament references or direct quotations in her words here. And you might say, okay, well, good for her. You know, she, she clearly has studied her Bible and read up on it a lot. But this is far more miraculous when you remember the culture they're living in and that she is a young teenage girl. Okay, Mary didn't grow up going to Legacy Christian School. 
Mary did not go to Bible college to receive a bachelor's in theology. In fact, most likely, given the culture and time they live in, Mary probably did not even know how to read. She wouldn't have been taught growing up how to read. She didn't grow up going into the temple and sitting beneath the priest and hearing all the words of the Torah. And yet this girl has clearly heard the word of God that has hidden it in her heart. And in this moment of celebration, she is able to quote from more Old Testament scripture than any of us could probably do on our best day with profound accuracy and detail. Parents here today, grandparents here today, get the word of God saturated into your children in any and every way that you can. Read it with them, study it with them, memorize scripture with them, and live it out with them. Because I promise you it will reap benefits far beyond any other education or instruction you could possibly give your children. We don't know how Mary obtained all of this knowledge of the word, but we can assume it was from her parents, from those around her in her community. But this was a girl who had heard it time and time again to the point that she's not just saying, oh yeah, well I think it says somewhere in the Torah about somebody that... uh, She's quoting directly from different scriptures and prophecies all throughout the Old Testament. This is a woman who's heard it time and time again and has recited it and has memorized it and is clinging to it. Are we training up our children in that same way? Are we bringing the word of God constantly before our students? Because TikTok dances won't rescue your child from depression. Taylor Swift is not going to give the words of life and hope that your child needs. Call of Duty is not going to satisfy the longing soul of a human being. And as parents, we have been given the call by God to train up our children in the way of the Lord. So when you're blown away at the memory of your child and that sponge of a brain they have and the way they can absorb information, what information are you allowing to be absorbed into that brain? And it's incredible, even my six-year-old Hudson, the things he can remember and recite word for word. And sometimes that is such a proud moment when your son can quote a scripture and you're like, that's my boy. And then the moments when he's quoting things that you're embarrassed in the store going, whose child is that? Somebody needs to get their son because he's saying very bad things right now. What information are you getting before your children? Are you saturating them with? I hope and I pray it is the word of God because they are growing up in a world that is not going to give them truth and is not going to give them hope, and is not going to give them life. And if they aren't getting it from you, where are they getting it? Don't depend on the church to parent your children. The church is here, the body of Christ, to assist you, to come alongside you, to encourage you and support you. But that role and responsibility is yours and yours alone. Let's be parents, let's be grandparents that are constantly bringing the word of God 
before our children and our grandchildren. This year, as we approach Christmas, there are a lot of great traditions that you can hold as a family, but I hope and I pray that you're not going through the Christmas season with your family without actually opening the Word of God to look at the Christmas season and why we celebrate as believers. Here, Mary is a woman greatly blessed by God, filled with the Word of God and able to quote it in this moment. And what is her desire in this moment when another woman is just praising her and you are blessed and you are highly favored and her desire was to magnify the Lord. And this is why Mary is the right woman for the job. God is not interested in using people who seek their own glory, their own credit, their own fame. Realize this, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He can do it far better on his own He could use someone else, and yet he desires to use us. But the person God is willing to use is the one who recognizes God's hand in it all and deflects the glory and the praise to the one who's truly worthy of it, and it's not us, it's him. And so Mary begins this beautiful statement and song by saying, my soul, it magnifies the Lord. It's not about my name, it's not about my glory and my fame, it's about the Lord. We see this with Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14. They heal a man and immediately people are calling him Hermes and and Zeus and they're saying, oh man, these guys are incredible. We need need to get the priests and they get the priests of Zeus and they get the ox and they're going to sacrifice to them. And what do Paul and Barnabas do? They are tearing their clothes and they're saying, what are you doing? Don't worship us, worship God. They're deflecting the glory and the praise. It's not about us. It's about God. It's what Psalm 34, 1 through 3 says. I will bless you, Lord, at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My mouth shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 15.1 says this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. As a church, this is our greatest aim. As a people made in the image of God is that we would magnify him, is that we would deflect all the praise and all the glory and say, Not unto us, unto him be the glory and the honor. If there is one message people remember and walk away from this church with, we want it to be the gospel. And if there is one name that people remember when they think back to this church, I hope and I pray that it is the name of Jesus. Because that's it. That's our all. We are made in the image of him to display him to the world. Mary says, my soul, it magnifies the Lord. Let me ask you, church, how is the Lord magnified through you? Or maybe the harder question to ask yourself this morning, what or where in your life is there a minimizing where there should be a magnifying? Is it an ability he's given you and like Samson, you're taking credit and glory for it and you're using it for your own means and not for his will? 
Is it things he's calling you into where he can show himself strong on your behalf through your weakness and yet out of fear, you're unwilling to step into it and you shrink back? Is it the pride of not wanting your name and your reputation to be brought down as you magnify his name above your own? Man, what wickedness, what selfishness, what little faith and great pride do we have That the God who came to die for us, the God who's redeemed us and spared us of the wrath that is to come that we deserve, wouldn't be worthy of all the praise and glory and honor we could possibly give. A wise pastor once told me when I was interning for him, and he said, you think you're going to go into ministry? And I said, well, I think that's what God's calling me to. And he said, can I give you a word of advice? I said, please. And he said, one thing you never touch, you never get your fingerprints on is the glory. Don't touch it. Don't get your fingerprints on it. Don't take any of it for yourself. All the glory belongs to the Lord. May we learn from John the Baptist, the boy in our text that is yet to be born as well, who would say, he must increase and I must decrease. In every one of our lives, may that be our desire each and every morning. Lord, more of you, less of me. I want more attention on you and less on me. I want it to be more about your name and your will and your plans and less about my name and my will and my plans. Mary desires to magnify the Lord. She says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is an important detail of why we don't pray to Mary, why we don't worship Mary, why we don't lift up Mary and hail her is because right here in her own words, Mary declares she needs a Savior. Sinners need Saviors. Perfect people do not. God certainly does not need a Savior. Mary needs a Savior. And may as Mary herself proclaimed it, be the way that we define her. Let's not make her out to be something she didn't claim to be. Mary is a woman. Highly favored, absolutely. Blessed by God, definitely. Worthy of recognition, yes. But only as she was a willing vessel that God used for his glory. She says, he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She's rejoicing in the fact that God saw her in the midst of her lowly state as a maidservant when others would have overlooked her, and he saw her and said, Mary, you're the one that I've chosen. You're the one that I will use. The one that others overlook, this is the way of God's kingdom. He uses the fisherman and the tax collector. He uses the lowly maidservant nobody's choosing. He uses a left-handed assassin to go in and take out a wicked leader. He uses the people that others overlook that he might get the glory in it. It's, she's playing out real time what James tells us that we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift us up. And in this moment, she is seeing that lifting up take place in her life. She says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
These are not little things that have been done in Mary's life. These may be details we hear every year, and so they get repetitive. These are not little things. He has done great things for her. That's important, believer, because do you realize the things you and I need God to do in our lives are great. We have a great need that requires a great God. A half-decent God that's pretty good once a week is not going to cut it for us. Because we're a completely lost people, dead and lost without him. We need someone to save us. We need someone to protect us. We need someone to provide for us. We need someone to instruct us and, and guide us. And we need someone to heal us and redeem us and empower us and forgive us. We have a great need. Holy is his name because we have a great God. Glory be to God that not only has he done, but he is doing and he will continue to do forever great things. It's in his nature, it's who he is. Maybe today you've been wrestling because you look at a situation and you have a great need. You're like, Lucas, this is a really, really great need. It's a big, big great need. There is a great God who can meet that need and far surpass that need so that he can do abundantly above and beyond all that we could ask. So you think, I don't even know if I could ask God for this. Oh, you can because he can do far above and beyond what you could even imagine. He's so much greater than your need. And Mary is boldly declaring that here as a woman who's experiencing that in real time. She moves on to speak of the greatness of God, specifically, but also generally and within Israel as well. She says his mercy is on those who fear him. Paul would describe God in Ephesians 2 as being rich in mercy. Micah 7.18 tells us that God actually delights in mercy. Lamentations 3 tells us that his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Mary says his mercy is on all who fear him. She says he has shown his strength with his arm, a symbol of his strength, the right arm of a man. And we read in Isaiah 41.10 where it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. She says he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. The word imagination, it could also be translated thoughts, the thoughts of their hearts. And you might say, well, that's a little odd. I don't typically think of my, my heart as being a thinking thing. I think of my heart as a feeling thing. And although we often relate emotions to our heart, the Bible's relates the heart primarily to the intellect, to thinking, to our thoughts. So I would see in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. That's why Hebrews 4, when it talks about the word of God being living and powerful, it says it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so this great God who is rich in mercy to those who fear him, he also scatters those who are proud in their thoughts and come against him. 
like Pharaoh and his chariots that he scattered in the sea, like the Philistines after Goliath is taken down by David, like Haman and his sons in Esther who had a plot to try and kill the Jews. Directly in contrast to that lifting up and blessing that Mary is experiencing, there is this scattering and destroying those who come against him and his people. And it ties directly to what she says next, that he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Like Saul, who was unwilling to wait on the Lord. And then the lowest of the brothers that Samuel doesn't assume is the one is chosen to be the next king. Like Nebuchadnezzar, who takes a moment in his pride to look at everything that is his, his kingdom, and what he's accomplished, who is then humbled to go and eat grass like an ox. Like Herod, we're seeing throughout the book of Luke, who gives himself the title of greatness and kills anyone and everyone that tries to take his throne, and yet eventually it will be removed from him. And the one who sits on the greatest throne and has the ultimate authority is the one who comes in a small little stable in the middle of nowhere to a lowly maidservant. There is no throne or authority over God. He can put down any he chooses and he can exalt any that he so sees fit to do. And what we look forward to is the day that this truth becomes an even greater reality when God comes to rule and reign once and for all. She says that he's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. She's quoting here directly from Psalm 107.9. It says, for he has satisfied the longing soul, he fills the hungry soul with goodness. You know, I'm sure many of you have heard of the, the prayerful, faithful man, George Muller. I was reading in his journal an account of a way that the Lord met this hunger of theirs in a very real way. It says this, one morning, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. The children in the orphanage were standing, waiting for their morning meal, when Muller said, Children, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. Immediately there was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Muller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it for you. Mr. Muller thanked the banker. And no sooner had he left when there was a second knock at the door and it was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. Truly, the Lord has filled the hungry with good things. The Lord meets the needs of his people, but this is not just physically. Spiritually, we understand, as Jesus says in John 6, that he is the bread of life. And when the hungry and starving come to him, they will be satisfied and not hunger again. But the rich, however, they leave empty like that rich ruler in Mark 10 
Jesus tells to sell everything and follow him, and he leaves sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Why are the rich sent away empty-handed, you might say? That's not very loving and kind. They're sent away because they are not hungry for the bread of Jesus. They love their riches and don't recognize their need for something more. Jesus freely offers himself for those who come and seek him, but these rich, they don't. And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Even with all the times that Israel abandoned the Lord, doubted the Lord, questioned his faithfulness, looked to other gods, turned to other people, trusted in other things, time and time again, the Lord who is rich in mercy remembers his mercy and helps the children of Israel. He helps them out of Egypt just for them to complain and want to go back. He helps them through the wilderness just for them to want to go back because of what's awaiting them before the promised land. But he still is faithful to help them into that promised land. And here, how is he helping the the children of Israel through Mary? By providing their Messiah. By fulfilling his promise to his people. Even when they weren't looking for him even when he came in a way they did not expect, and even when today people will reject him as their Savior and Lord, a God who is rich in mercy helps his people. As I invite the worship team to come back up, and as we, we spend our time joining with Elizabeth and Mary in songs that magnify the Lord, May we remember the God who loves the lowly and gives grace to the humble. May we be a people who make it a priority this year to stay stay centered and grounded on the truth of why we have something to celebrate. That God would come to dwell among us and seek and save the lost the God who draws our eyes off of our situation and lifts them up to him, the one who is rich in mercy, the one who is a mighty God who has done great things, the one who has filled our hungry souls so that we will not hunger again, the God who each and every one of us, our souls were made to magnify. There's going to be people available as we close in prayer in these final songs. We would love to pray with you And if you're hearing about this God who seeks and saves the lost, who exalts the lowly and gives gives food to those who hunger, and you're saying, I want that, I don't have that, do not hesitate to come up and talk with me because I want to share that with you. I want you to experience that today. I don't want you to leave here hungry. I don't want you to leave here longing. For those of you, if that word this morning at the beginning was for you, please come and And share, I would love to hear what's been going on and how that word was something you needed to hear so that we might join in glorifying the Lord and magnifying his name together. But let's be a people that close out in songs that truly exalt and praise the Lord because he is good and he is worthy of our praise this morning. Amen. There are a lot of voices out there today. There is a lot of noise in our culture today. But my hope this morning as we close is that our voices would be louder, is that this noise would be louder and that this would be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, a joyful noise 
from a people who are greatly appreciative for the salvation he has brought. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder this morning. Lord, that there is no one too old or too young for you to use. Lord, there's not an age requirement you have to be used by you. We don't have to have a degree. We don't have to have a set of skills for you to use us. We have to be a people who are humble, a people who believe, people who give the glory to you. God, anyone in the room who is young, who has been told they're too young to accomplish something, I pray that you would remind them to not despise, let anyone despise their youth, but to be an example to the believers and their faith and their love and their conduct and their purity. Lord, for anybody in this room that thinks their time has come and they're done being used by you and that they can just kick back, Lord, it's time to retire from our walk of faith. It's time to stop running this race of faith, Lord, This morning, would you remind them that if you can use a woman well advanced in years who is barren to bring about John, that you can use them no matter how far advanced they are in years, no matter how many medical conditions they may have, no matter how many limitations they may see before them, would they be a people that believe God is greater and that he can do great things? God, would our weakness not be seen as something that disqualifies us, but something that qualifies us so that you might get greater praise and glory in it. And God, would we be a people this season that in all that we do, that in all that we say, we would seek to magnify your name. Reveal those areas, Lord where we're not making much of you, where we're minimizing the work you desire to do in our lives and through us. We want to be a people that magnify your name, that live for your glory, that honor you with our actions. Equip us by your Holy Spirit to do that well today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.